Good morning, and welcome to your dog's best life. This is Leanne. Today I'd like to talk about a type of dog that's a little less maybe well-known or popular amongst most people, but with the growing number of folks who are getting interested in homesteading in the United States especially, we're seeing a huge uptick in the dog training boards with people who are faced with owning a type of dog that they're not familiar with and who are maybe seeing some problem behaviors that they've not anticipated or could have been avoided had they known had a little more information. So what I'd like to do here is provide that information, help folks who maybe are struggling, provide people who are maybe thinking about getting one of these dogs some information on how to acquire one of these dogs, what to look for, the genetics involved, etc. So what I'm referring to is livestock guardian dogs. Livestock guardian dogs are a genetic subset of dogs. So a German Shepherd is not a livestock guardian dog. It is a herding dog, as an example. The genetics are completely different, and we are going to get down into that because there is also this illusion that some people have that any dog can be a livestock guardian dog, that it's just a job description. This is where we really struggle with the idea that training can solve everything. Training cannot. Instinct really is important here. So first, what is a livestock guardian dog? A livestock guardian dog is a dog who is missing all of the pieces of the predatory sequence. By that, I mean when ethologists describe the predatory sequence in predators, they have a bunch of words that describe that sequence so they can just say predatory sequence and not write down that the dog or the wolf, I'm sorry, the wolf looked for the deer, saw saw the deer, froze, stalked the deer, crept up on the deer, chased the deer, grabbed the deer, flung the deer to the ground, and then ate the deer. Uh, That's a lot of writing. So instead they just put in the word predatory sequence. So the predatory sequence is entire in wolves, obviously. You can't be a predator and not have the entire predatory sequence in your genetics and survive. In dogs, however, all of the predatory sequence cannot be there or we wouldn't really be able to live with them. Again, see wolves. Most of us own dogs that have had pieces of the predatory sequence suppressed and other pieces have been maybe brought more to the fore. So as an example of that would be a bird dog. Bird dogs seek, which is the looking for prey, right? So that's scent work. They, they use the quartering technique or whatever to find the, the scent of the bird on the wind. And then they use a very foreshortened stalk behavior, which is the freeze. Again, think of a cat right before they, they launch. That is stalking. So you don't want your bird dog to then rush in, grab the bird, shake the bird, kill the bird, and eat the bird. That kind of does you no good. So we humans have changed the predatory sequence in bird dogs to accommodate the needs that we saw for the genetics of this breed. In herding dogs, we have no part of the seeking behavior, right? They don't need to look for sheep, but they do need to stalk the sheep. That is that eye that you see in certain uh, breeds of herding dogs more than in others. As an example, border collies have a ton of what we call eye, which if you watch a border collie eyed up on a sheep, oftentimes you could hardly distinguish that from a bird dog being frozen looking at birds. Those are the same pieces of the predatory sequence. We've just added into the border collie, we have a piece of a very, very stylized type of chase that we've added in to kind of keep things under control. There is no grab bite. Even dogs who have a bite, a herding dog with a bite, that bite is has to be bite and release. Grab bite cannot be 
grab and release because it does you no good to grab your gazelle and let it go. So again, that's a piece that we had to put in there. But first we had to take out the grab bite as it exists in, say, wolves. All this matters because all this tinkering with genetics was really, really, really important in the livestock guardian dog breeds. So the livestock guardian dog breeds, which includes things like the Great Pyrenees, that's the most popular one in America. The most popular one in Australia is the Marema Sheepdog. If you've seen any of the news stories about the dogs protecting penguins in Australia, uh, those are all Marema Sheepdogs. And, but they're big white dogs. They look just like Great Pyrenees. Most of them are called <laughs> big white dogs. That's kind of shorthand for a lot of the breeds. Because if your flock of sheep is being attacked in the middle of the night by wolves and you want to go outside and shoot the right dog, it's ideal if your dog does not look like a wolf. So many of these are going to be white. Tolian Shepherd is also a livestock guardian dog. And then you get into some big dogs that I can never remember the names or pronounce the names. The Ovachark and the Caucasian Shepherd, both up in Russia, where they really have some gnarly predators up there. So those dogs can be a lot harder dogs. But the most common that we're going to see here in America is the Great Pyrenees. What we have to understand about these dogs is that there are two kind of trajectories for these dogs in America. The first is the pet dog, right? That's the Great Pyrenees you see walking down the street on a leash. And the ones that people are using now for their homesteads to protect their chickens and whatnot. And we will address all of the uses for these dogs and kind of how their instincts play into whether they will succeed or fail in these various aspects of their lives. However, a lot of this will be about using the livestock guardian dogs for what they're actually bred to do, which is guard their livestock, hence the name. So the first thing to understand is that the entire predatory sequence has been removed in this dog. They cannot have pieces of the predatory uh, sequence remaining or they wouldn't protect their sheep. We don't have wolves protecting sheep. Uh, we, we have a very quiet dog who is going to use their body very softly around livestock, but who is going to be very protective of those livestock. We refer to that in pet dog homes as resource guarding, and it's not seen as a good thing. However, we put this behavior into these dogs because the resource in this case has to be the sheep. We want these dogs to bond heavily with their stock, much more so than the, than the people and the owners of the home, because we want them to stay down with the stock. It does you no good to have a livestock guardian dog who sleeps on your porch. This is why when you see pictures of my livestock guardian dog, Billy, you see her perched on rocks and everything like that, not necessarily on the porch, because it does me no good, again, to have her protecting my front deck from coyotes when the coyotes are not, I don't care if coyotes attack my house. Uh, I'm much more concerned about coyotes eating my, my sheep. Having said that, we also have to understand that the more popular dog breed is in America that is bred for a specific purpose, the more likely that dog is to start losing aspects of the genetics that made that dog what it is. So when you see a pet Pyrenees walking down the street, it may not have much or much of the livestock guarding behaviors remaining because those behaviors can be, like most herding behaviors, untenable in a public place. If your livestock guardian dog doesn't let your neighbors come into the house to visit you, that's a big problem. And so we tend to get rid of those types of behaviors in these dogs if they are problematic. If your dog is a show dog, Great Pyrenees and or Anatolian or any of these other breeds, they are genetically predisposed to not want to be approached by a stranger, certainly not permit a stranger to walk up to them and touch them. And so the idea that we can allow this in a show ring means that genetically, for the safety of everybody, we had to change pieces of that so that people could 
say, handle your dog and and uh, not get bit. That also leads us to another aspect of the genetics of this breed. This is not a biddable breed. And what I mean by that is that dogs have certain genetics that we put into them that apply to how trainable they are. Trainable is, in air quotes, all dogs are trainable to some extent. Having said that, some dogs are desperately wanting to be trained. Those are what we refer to as biddable dogs. Those are dogs who live and die by our opinion of them. Think Border Collie, German Shepherd, the Belgian Malinois, Griever, all the dogs that we think of as our pet dogs, the ones who live in our homes with us, tend to be fairly and we'll exclude the terriers for the time being, biddable dogs to some extent, or their genetics don't make living with humans untenable. So we have a giant, we have a large breed dog. All of these dogs weigh in around 70 or 80 pounds at minimum. Many go up over 100 pounds. We have a genetic predisposition to distrust strangers. We have a genetic predisposition to resource guard resources. And we can explain to them that sheep are their resources, but... That's not how genetics work. Genetics cue the dog to want to keep the thing safe from outside interference. And whether that thing is sheep and the outside interference is wolves or the thing is their dog bowl and you are the invader, that takes some conversations with our dog. But we have to understand that the genetics are there and we have to be respectful of this genetics. It does not mean I let Billy bite me if I touch her dog bowl. But it means that I'm understanding if after she eats her dog bowl, she does not want another dog to approach it. So in that case, I am able to let her go outside before I pick up the dog bowl and give it to a give it to another dog because there's always food left in it because Billy is Billy. So we just because a dog has a genetic predisposition predisposition to act in a certain manner does not mean that that manner has to occur. I don't let my dog, whether she's a livestock guardian dog or any of my dogs, resource guard against other dogs walking by minding their own business. That's not allowed. They're also not allowed to resource guard against me. But had Billy really showed signs of resource guarding as a puppy, I would have A, known that that was likely and taken preventive measures, which is why I never saw it, as I took preventive measures right from the get-go. Or, knowing that the genetics lie there, make sure that I'm very, very clear to her that this possession is actually mine too. Because again, we have to remember that these dogs understand genetically that yes, these sheep belong to me, but they also belong to the shepherd. Right? We can't have this type of dog protecting their sheep against, well, everybody and everything. They have to not protect them against the other dogs who work the sheep, whether they be herding dogs or other livestock guardian dogs. They can't, they can't protect the sheep against the guy who owns the sheep. So they understand. And so as long as we are always aware that the dog is able to comprehend what we're asking for, we're pretty much golden. So that also brings us to another behavior they exhibit that can make living with them very, very difficult. And that is the desire to chase away, I kind of call them monsters, uh, in Billy's case, monsters. And to, to keep monsters at bay, they tend to bark a lot to tell everybody, listen, I'm a big dog. I have a deep bark. I'm here. This is my territory. And you're not allowed to come into it. And because predator loads tend to be higher at night, this behavior tends to exhibit itself at night. 
there are nights when Billy barks it seemingly all night long. And because of that, you know, I have to be very mindful of what my neighbors can and cannot hear. And in, I am in, even with my neighbors being the distance they are from me, which is quite far, I am in constant communication with them to make sure that if they hear Billy and she is bothering them, if she is barking and she happens to be near their property, closer to their property, say, than my own, that I do go out and help Billy and make her understand that, thank you very much for your a job well done, but can you be quiet? This never worked for me, get, don't get me wrong. But we, we have to understand that that is what we built into this dog. The other thing we built into this job, dog is independence. And by that I mean dog breeds come in various levels of biddability. Biddability means how readily they are trained. A truly biddable dog would be a Border Collie, an Australian Shepherd, a German Shepherd, a Belgian Malinois. These are dogs who are desperate for us to train them. They live and die by our interactions with them. In fact, for most of these dogs, we actually had to put a handle on them to keep them from demanding that we pay attention to them all day long and, and that they get to work for us all day long. Many of these dogs, we actually have to f- kind of teach them a you-are-off-the-job cue so that they know that they have off time. Livestock guardian dogs, on the other hand, are not biddable. And this makes sense when you think of what their job description is. A herding dog works with me. A herding dog is not an independent contractor. No person owning a border collie will tell you, oh, I just opened the door and the dog goes out and gathers up the sheep and does whatever with them. No, if you just open your door to a border collie with access to livestock, they're going to chase those livestock all into a corner, stare at them, do something, but it won't be whatever you desire. It, they, you have to, you are a part of the picture. You're the manager. A livestock guardian dog is an independent contractor. They do what they do. They don't need our help. Because they don't need our help, they are not genetically predisposed to ask for our help. They don't need our help. Why do they need us? So when people talk about breeds that are difficult to train, livestock guardian dogs are going to be very much at the top of that list because they don't need to listen to us. They don't need to please us. They can love us. They can have great relationships with us. But there's a difference between a familial attachment and a quote-unquote love of one another Versus a desire to please that other person and work for them. Livestock guardian dogs work for themselves. So when people say, well, I'll just train this out of them. That's not really a thing for these breeds. That's just not an option. The other thing to understand about these breeds is that they bring these behaviors to the table regardless of what your desires are. And this is where I'm seeing a lot of conflict in the training boards uh, recently with homesteaders and folks getting more and more, there's more and more understanding in America of livestock guardian dogs. And I think that's a good thing because I I am of the opinion that we need to stop killing wildlife to own livestock. And if we're going to stop killing wildlife to own livestock, we need a way to keep livestock safe from those wildlife. And livestock guardian dogs are incredibly powerful in that, to that extent. They are, they are doing a fantastic job, whether it's Billy the Kid, a little Marema sheepdog on my little place protecting 15 sheep uh, from coyotes, which is a pretty easy job for her. She could do it one paw behind her back, as it were, versus, say, an over, a pack of oversharks up in northern Montana or Idaho keeping wolves away from 
from thousands of sheep on thousands of acres. So I think it's great. I love the breeds. I think they bring a lot to the table. I'm fascinated by the genetics of them. And I think that everything that we do in America to keep wildlife safe from us is a good thing. Where I think we run into trouble with livestock guardian dogs in the current environment of pet ownership in America is A, we have this delusion that we can train anything to do anything and that we don't have to pay attention to instincts or the dog's needs. And frankly, I find that offensive. Uh, The idea that you should get a livestock guardian dog to protect your quarter acre from the neighborhood cat for attacking your chickens is madness. It's it's just not going to work. Your livestock guardian dog is going to spend all day long trying to expand their range because it's surrounded by predators. If it's only a quarter quarter acre, that's a teeny, teeny space. Where my sheep lives is a quarter acre, and it's not very big. And... So the idea that, that they would be hemmed in that, in that small a space with essentially predators, neighbors, dogs, neighbors, all around them would be very, very stressful for them. In addition to that, these dogs were never genetically bred to handle birds. So having a 100-pound dog protect your flock of chickens is... Uh, overkill. It's it's insane. The other thing is, is the fencing that you would require to keep your livestock guardian dog from expanding their range into your neighbor's territories would be just as effective to keep out the predators that would eat your chickens in the first place. So if you put a six foot tall perimeter fence around your quarter acre with electrified wire on the top, nothing's getting in that's going to eat your chickens. And if it is, you're talking mountain lions here. And if you've got mountain lions... I would not have my chickens running around loose. My chickens would be in a box at night to keep mountain lions out. Because, again, one one livestock guardian dog is not generally going to be enough for a mountain lion. So now you're talking about smashing three or four livestock guardian dogs into a quarter acre. And that won't work for the one time in a million that a mountain lion climbs in and eats your chickens. So if you have just birds that you're trying to have protected, I would honestly invest in better fencing, not a better livestock guardian dog. I mean, unless you're trying to, I mean, there's always an exception. But if you have a tiny property and tiny animals, then having a 100-pound dog that takes three years to train is probably not the way to go. And that does bring me to another thing that I think is really important. On a lot of these pages, a lot of these Facebook um, pages, you're going to see a lot of really shitty information on livestock guardian dogs. One of the worst pieces of information that people get is, well, you need more than one. And that's true in some cases. You do need more than one in in some cases. What you never, ever need is more than one puppy at a time. Because then you get into sibling syndrome and you get into them playing with each other and then they start killing your livestock. And then you say, these are terrible dogs and you shoot them or rehome them when in fact the owner here is at fault. Everything was a disaster waiting to happen and everything was done wrong and these dogs were guaranteed to fail. And had you asked anybody really who's really good at these dogs, who's owned more than one, you would hear the same thing. So the first thing is, yes, in some cases you may need more than one livestock guardian dog. Those cases would be lots of land, like thousands of acres, lots of land, lots of stock. So thousands of sheep on your thousands of acres or hundreds of sheep on your thousands of acres where no dog could be at every end of your sheep and protect them. Or a heavy predator load. A heavy predator load is not neighborhood coyotes. 
I'm talking wolves, bears, and mountain lions in America. If you don't, if you have a couple coyotes, a one, a single livestock guardian dog is totally fine. Coyotes weigh 35 to 40 pounds. They are as big as a border collie. And even if there's a quote unquote pack of them, the likelihood that they're going to attack a livestock guardian dog is close to nil unless they are really in trouble or have rabies. So the idea that you need two or more livestock guardian dogs to protect your 14 chickens in your quarter acre from the coyote that you saw the other day or the, or the bobcat that crosses your yard, get better fencing. That bobcats can be fenced out. Coyotes can be fenced out and is way easier and way less expensive and way fewer headaches and fewer dead chickens. Because I'm going to tell you what, if you're trying to train a livestock guardian dog to protect against chickens, there will be chicken deaths. Your livestock guardian dog, while they're going through adolescence and puppyhood, will kill chickens. And you're like, oh my God, he has no part of the predatory sequence. He must be broken. He is not broken. He is a puppy. Puppies do stupid things. Puppies take birds that are just feathery squeak toys. They smash them to the ground and they pluck all the feathers off. Birds tend not to do well under the circumstances and tend to keel over and die. Then he's a great plaything. He's all wompy and you can fling him in the air and oh, it's fantastic. Your dog didn't fail. You failed. You failed because of bad fencing, you failed because of stupid chickens, but the failure is entirely your own. And I know this because I have a livestock guardian dog. And honest to God, until she was three years old, she was a blithering idiot. And I had essentially a flock of ducks whose sole purpose in life was somehow committing suicide in as many myriad ways as they possibly could. Before I had my livestock guardian dog, they chose to lay along fence lines and get their heads chopped off by walking by uh, predators. The predator would reach in with their arms, grab the chicken's head or the duck's head, eat it off and leave the decapitated remains in the coop for the other birds to see. And then the next duck would come along and say, oh, look, Clyde is missing. Oh, but his space is there. I think I will sleep along the fence line. And so Cotamundi's ate several ducks because ducks are that stupid. Then I got li my livestock guardian dog. I got Billy. The Cotamundi's went away. They went to other places where there are fewer big, large, loud dogs. But the ducks were like, let's see if we can fly when it's windy and the winds are right. And we would fly right into the mouth of a young, happy puppy. So, I mean, mistakes happen, and they will absolutely happen. And I probably lost a half dozen birds to Billy over the three years that I was training her. Just mostly, it was all fence failures. All of them were, were failures in fencing. And the birds getting out and Billy making poor choices. I also had to work with Billy around the, uh, the sheep. I had to remind Billy on a regular basis that being calm was appropriate, that rampaging was not appropriate, that she was not allowed to put sheep parts in her mouth, that playing with sheep is absolutely verboten. You are not permitted to play with livestock. And that's another important thing we have to understand. If you see your livestock guardian dog playing with your livestock, that is bad. That is not appropriate. But if your livestock guardian dog kills livestock... It does not mean your livestock guardian dog is going to be a terrible livestock guardian dog. It means that you made a mistake somewhere in the management. And so what you have to understand if you own this breed of dog is it's going to take three years because they are adolescents seemingly until they're about 10. But to be honest, Billy was not thoroughly reliable until she was three. And I did not allow her around unloose. Un I did not allow her unattended around baby livestock so lambs until she was over three and a half just because she was still making some choices that were not entirely what I wanted to see and it's all about management 
So the big thing here is you don't slap an e-collar on these dogs and light them up for killing a chicken. You say bad human and you go get the chicken out of their mouth. Um, if you catch them in the act because you happen to have a leash and you're doing things right, well, then you do a little leash correction. You're like, uh-uh, don't do that. Praise them for being good. You don't, this is not a dog that you are going to smash the shit out of because again, these are dogs who are not listening to you. Your input is zero. So what you want them to do is listen to their instincts, but you have to help them with those instincts. The next thing to be aware of is if you get, if you listen to the folks who are going to tell you that you need two and you get two puppies at one time, now you've got two puppies that you need to train, two puppies whose stupid is going to feed off of each other, two puppies who when they hit adulthood are going to be essentially sibling syndrome dogs and they are going to try to kill one another. So the one of the biggest things I see and I see a lot of, of bad choices being made with these dogs. One is getting two puppies at the same time. Do not do that. If you have a predator load that is significant enough that you need multiple dogs, try to find an adult dog who knows their job. Then get a puppy. Some adult dogs can train the puppies. And this is why you'll hear some breeders say they don't need to be trained. Because that breeder who shouldn't be telling anybody anything if they're that stupid, but we'll just roll with it. That breeder had an adult livestock guardian dog who trained up the puppies. Some adult livestock guardian dogs will do that. That is how they were, that's how they were done. You, I mean, you think about the pastoral peoples who owned these dogs through the millennia, you know they didn't sit around with all of these dogs on leashes making all these corrections and doing all this training. So, of course, they had to have a system in place. But that system in place was older dogs who, if they saw a puppy bolt into the stock, would correct the puppy. If they saw the puppy, you know, mouthing a lamb, they would correct the puppy. Uh, so, yeah, that's how it was done then. The other thing is, is if a puppy got out of hand, if it took too much, if, the, if it wouldn't listen to the adult, they just shot it. It's a different world. That's not the world we live in. So what we have to really understand here is if you don't already have a livestock guardian dog, or even if you do, Billy, I think, would be a terrible teacher. Billy is on the constant verge of nitwittery, and giving her even half a chance to play with a puppy, she would probably abandon her stock altogether and go off to cavort with the puppy. So even having a livestock guardian dog on the property if and when I decide to get another one to protect my stock, I will likely train that dog up from the get-go. Now, Billy might help in some ways, but for me to just think that Billy's going to do her job and teach that puppy, no. Billy, Billy has some criminal aspects to her that I don't trust. And like I said, she, instead of being the, the adult in the room, would probably become the child in the room. So we do have to train these dogs for a good three years before they're reliable. And so there's a kind of one of the things you hear all the time is, oh, if it killed stock, it's a useless dog. No, they all will kill stock if you don't train them right. If you don't teach them how to do the, their job. Um, again, we don't open the door and let border collies chase sheep helter skelter. I mean, the worst thing you can do is walk an untrained border collie through a bunch of livestock. You're going to end up with pandemonium. If there's a rancher nearby, you're end up with a dead dog. You could end up with dead livestock. It doesn't mean it's a bad dog. It means it was poorly managed, poorly trained, and not given the correct opportunities. The other thing I see a lot of times is people are asking these dogs to do jobs that are absolutely impossible for the dog at hand. There's a huge difference in the quote-unquote hardness versus softness of these dogs. 
Hardness would be how they protect their stock. So as an example, the Great Pyrenees, which is, again, the most common one that we see here in America, as well as the Murma Sheepdog, the most common one they see in, in Australia, are both incredibly soft livestock guardian dog breeds. By that I mean the, these come out of, like, Western Europe. Is Italy considered Western? Wherever. They come out of Italy and France. I think that's Western Europe. And the predator loads there are pretty minor. They don't have to fight off packs of wolves because most of the wolves have been slaughtered and are dead there. Uh, there are no mountain lions there. So we're talking foxes, occasional lone wolves. So nothing huge and very aggressive is going to attack these dogs. Mostly probably what they did in the later years, honestly, was keep thieves at bay, human invaders. So these are what we call soft livestock guardian dogs. By that, what I mean, at night, they'll bark, bark, bark. Hello, I'm here. Hello, I'm here. If a predator approaches, they will try to bluff, run it away. They'll charge it. If that doesn't work, they will physically block their stock from it. They will step up to the stock and turn perpendicular to the predator or face off the predator to ensure the predator has stays away and only if they are absolutely have no other choice will they attack and kill the predator these dogs are not out looking for trouble again it makes sense because we don't want our dogs injured it does us no good again you have to think in the days before antibiotics and the days you know these guys were out in the wilds you can't have half a dog torn off and expected to live and that's really expensive to lose your livestock guardian dog in those three years it took for them to mature and do their job so we don't want them unduly risking their lives to save to protect their livestock so my livestock guardian dog will do the bare minimum necessary to protect her stock until she has to step up. And then she will presumably step up. I've never seen her have to do that because we don't have a heavy predator load. We have coyotes, a very occasional mountain lion, and that's it. Then you go into the harder breeds. Anatolian would be slightly harder. You get into the overcharks, Caucasian shepherds. Those are some gnarly dogs. Those are dogs who were bred where there are tons of bear, tons of wolves, and they are flat out aggressive and they're not messing about and they will absolutely kill a, a predator if it approaches their stock because they're not messing around. So when we talk about the hardness versus the softness of these, of these dogs, we have to take that into consideration with what we're asking our dogs to do. Would a Caucasian Shepherd be an appropriate dog for my, my place where I live? No, absolutely not. In Southern Arizona, the most popular type of livestock guardian dog here is either Great Pyrenees or Great Pyrenees bred with Anatolian Shepherds. So when I start doing my research, the easiest dogs for me to find and handle and work with before I got my own dog were these breeds. I had problems with both of these breeds. The Great Pyrenees in America has become very popular. Uh, the nose is shortening. They are becoming what we call more brachycephalic. I mean, they're certainly not, they're not like a pug but their nose has gotten a little shorter their head has gotten what we call a deeper stop so there's a rounder head and a more defined different uh, angle between the head and the nose on the skull that affects their ability to, to heat regulate i'm in arizona that's a problem the other bigger problem here is that many of the great pyrenees have lost what we refer to as a working coat the working coat is going to feel kind of rough to your hands it's, it's going to be a a sharper uh, coat than soft because soft coats tend to adhere to stickers and what have you. Snow adheres to them. Um, I wanted a working coat because I don't want to have to groom my dog every day. And she 
Billy gets into cockleburrs. She's currently, it's snowing right now. She's out in the snow. I don't want her dragged down with tons of snow. So I wanted a working coat. I did not like what I was seeing in the local Pyrenees. The other big thing that we do in Arizona is we mix great Pyrenees with Anatolian shepherds. The reason being is Anatolian shepherds have a moderate coat compared to the great Pyrenees. They are also a sharper dog. They're a harder dog. And when I was doing the research on this, while some people have had some very soft great Pyrenees, uh, very soft Anatolians who are very welcoming of strangers, many did not. And I'm not going to roll the dice because I'm going to live with this dog for the rest of his life. So I couldn't have a dog where it might work out. And by that I meant I need a dog who can tolerate people coming in and off, on and off my property. I need a dog who can tolerate the fact that I might bring in home a new puppy. I, have a, I need a dog who can tolerate client dogs coming and going and won't eat them. So for me, having any Anatolian in the lines was going to be problematic because I was just, again, there were some people who had really good success with their Anatolians, but I was needing to get mine from working lines because if you're going to get a working dog, you need to get it from somebody who's worked the adult, the, the parents. And it was really important to me that I not be gambling on this because if she washed out, what was I going to do with her? So that's when I uh, was speaking to a friend of mine up central Arizona, Phoenix, who had Marema sheepdogs, and she really loved them. They worked for her setup, which is larger, flatter, but somewhat similar to my own setup, where she has student dogs coming in to herd sheep. She has sheep. She has a minor predator load of, of local coyotes. Um, and so I started talking to her about Maremas, and I'd never even met a Marema. And I've been in the veterinary community for 20 years. I'd never even seen this breed in my life. But... I, that was a breed that I thought was really going to be probably the breed I wanted to go with. Well, then I needed to find a breeder. And so for me, the important thing, again, had to be I needed a breeder who was breeding dogs in similar circumstances to what I needed the dog to work in. It, would, it wouldn't do me a lot of good to buy a, a livestock guardian dog who's working up in Idaho where that dog has 10,000 acres. Because that dog's instincts, even in a couple of years a couple of genetic lines could change to work better in those circumstances where they have all that acreage and where there are, there are stronger predatory forces. So I found her breeder on the Navajo reservation up north of northern Arizona on a like bed and breakfast. They called it glamping. It's such an ugly word. But they, they have guests come and going all, coming and going all the time. So the dogs were very human welcoming, which was really, really important to me. Because it's on the res, you know that it had to deal with stray dogs because that is going to be one of the major predatory factors on, the, on a Navajo reservation is going to be actual stray dogs attacking your livestock, as well as coyotes. They very occasionally probably have a bear, very occasionally have a mountain lion. But again, they're kind of in a very similar situation to, to what I'm in. When I went up to meet the parents prior to buying a puppy, the, the male was out doing his job. I saw him out on acreage and he charged my car. He looked very aggressive. He was exactly what I wanted. And then when I got to their home uh, where the bitch was, she was hanging out with her puppy. She was immediately very friendly and very sweet, very kind to me, which is exactly what I wanted. He, I was in a car, he was with his stock, he protected his stock. I was coming out of a car, she had no livestock, she was very sweet and friendly. 
So with that in mind, that's how I got my livestock already in it. And as you see, this was not a, this, this process took me about, I want to say a little over a year is how long I a, studied how to train these dogs, studied the genetics of the breeds I was looking at, talked to friends of mine who were familiar with these dogs or even owned these dogs. And then talked to other friends about where to find a breeder. Because then I went home, talked to my friend in Phoenix and asked her if she had heard of these dogs. And she said that she liked, she liked the lines. So the other thing that we, the, so that's important is knowing what, what it is you're looking for. Because um, again, the instincts that come to the fore are what you're going to be stuck with. If I'd had a dog who was sharp and didn't like strangers, I was really in trouble. I mean, what, what was I going to do? I, I would have been doomed. So it was really, really important. And then I did all the right thing. You know, I did all the things right. I socialized the shit out of her. I made sure she was really friendly. I, you know, I, I picked the friendliest puppy. Uh, you know, I, I kind of did everything right afterwards too, but it's the whole picture because I could have done everything right with the wrong genetics and still been doomed. So that's the thing I think people really kind of don't get is you cannot train everything. I'm a dog trainer. And I know bloody well, you cannot train everything. I think the more you become a dog, the more dogs you train, the more you recognize the importance of understanding and respecting that in our dogs. I'm also seeing people who really don't quite get what the job of the dog is, where they might have a small petting zoo, but, and then whether they want all these strangers coming and going, and, but the, they're angry because the livestock guardian dog does his job all day. It's like, well, that's what they do. You know, if you don't want him barking all day, the people put him away. You know, if you're going to have people at your house all day long and your dog is sensitive to that, which again, they probably should be, and you have to really plan ahead if you don't want them to be. Again, I picked Billy specifically for that genetic trait and did all the work. And on top of that, probably got lucky. And if I, if I got a dog who couldn't tolerate that, then I'd have to do something about it. So as an example, Billy is always put up whenever I have a new dog on the property. Every single time a new dog is on the property, I put Billy away. Every single time we have a dog hurting her livestock that she does not know, she is put away. I do not want her seeing dogs harassing her stock that she doesn't know. So I'm very careful of her in her emotional state because I don't want to wreck her. I want her to understand that seeing a strange dog by the livestock is a bad thing because the, the other predator that people have to worry about, not here where I live so much, urban areas are actual pet dog and those dogs those livestock guarding dogs have to be able to take on pet dogs and in that case you might need multiples because pet dogs if they're running in groups can be very dangerous and don't always make sound decisions because that genetics the genetics of making sound decisions has been eradicated in those dogs what I want the takeaway to be for this is if you want one of these dogs understand the genetics that goes into it take the time to look into the genetic traits of the breed that you're looking at. If you're looking for specific traits, look at the genetics of the traits of the parents, both top and bottom. Even if you think the breed can has those genetics, still look at the parents. Make sure that they're doing the job that looks like the job that you're going to be having them do. So if you want a pet dog, go to a pet dog owner. Don't go to a person who has, you know, 500 sheep and 10,000 acres. That's going to be a miserable dog. And you're going to be miserable. Everybody's going to be miserable. Why put yourself, set yourself up for that? If you have a small homestead with 15 chickens, buy better fencing and forget the dog. It's just, it's just silly. It's very expensive 
very expensive, very ex exhausting work to put in to protect 15 chickens when you can just get better fencing. I mean, that's just a simple answer. And you can do very simple, you can very do minor things. You can have your chickens free roaming with your horse or your cow, and that's enough to keep small predators away. Again, it's not going to do anything if you have mountain lions and, and things like that. They'll just eat your horse and your cow too. But if you've got, you know, the neighborhood chicken murderer, you know, bobcat and a coyote, they're not going to mess with a horse or a cow or a donkey or, you know, it's just... It, they will work under the circumstances. So know your predator load. Know what your goals are. Do your goals align with the instincts of this dog? If they don't, I don't care how cute the dog is. Billy was a super cute puppy. Pyrenees are beautiful. They're really cute puppies. You have to respect what the dog brings to the fore. If you need any help training a livestock guarding dog, if you're kind of in a little too deep, if you bought a dog based on the advice of a moron, reach out, give me a buzz, and I'll help you out. I, I want these dogs to succeed. I love these dogs. And once you have one that's working and doing their job, you will never, ever want anything else. These dogs will just blow your mind on how amazing they are. But you have to respect the genetics that go into it and respect the time that, of training and teaching them to, to how to hone those instincts so that they succeed. So I hope everybody has a fantastic day. And if you have one of these breeds, hit me up. Show us on our Facebook page uh, pictures. There'll be a picture of Billy, of course. On, it probably should be 100 on my Facebook page, let's be honest. And uh, happy training. <laughs>